We're picking up in our sermon series through the Gospel of John, and we are only looking at three verses tonight. That's it. And the reason for taking such a small portion of Scripture is because these verses seem too good to be true. We read them, and we might actually think, yeah, these, these aren't true. They don't mean what they seem to mean. It seems like somewhere Jesus got these wrong or didn't do what he said he would do, that something in here seems off. And so I wanted to slow down and kind of look at these three verses. Similar statements come up again later, but to really look at what's being said here, because we do, we look at these verses and we're like, yeah, I know you said that, but really that's, that's not what you mean, right? And so we're in John chapter 14, verses 12 through 14, just those three verses. So open up your Bibles or look in your bulletins. Let's hear the word of God. John chapter 14, verses 12, 13, 14. These are the words of Jesus on the night he was arrested. He is in the upper room with his disciples, the 11 of them. Judas has left. There may be a few other close followers, but a small group. And here's what Jesus has to say. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Amen. Let us pray. Oh Lord, you do say, ask anything. So Lord, this morning I ask that you would work by your Spirit through your Word that you would please use me in spite of my own sinfulness and weakness. Help me, O God, to faithfully proclaim your word, explaining it and applying it. And I pray that your word would go forth in the power of your spirit and that you would give us all open ears, open hearts and minds to receive your word and that your spirit would work this word in us implanting it in us, growing it in us, helping us to believe it and trust it. And we ask that all these things would be done for your glory, O God, and for the great work of building up your people, saving us and encouraging us and strengthening us for the work that you would have us to do. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. So as we're looking at these three verses today, I want to dig into the two promises that we see in these three verses. And really, as we're going to look at these two promises, we only need one principle to kind of keep us on the right track. One guiding principle to help us from misunderstanding what Jesus is saying. And so the one principle we need to keep in mind as we look at these promises is that our focus as followers of Jesus 
should be to want what Jesus wants. To want what Jesus wants and not want things for ourselves. That our focus as followers of Jesus is wanting what Jesus wants, not wanting things for ourselves. See, too often we read these promises with an eye toward getting what we want for ourselves. When we should read them with an eye towards how Christ wants to glorify His Father by fulfilling His mission in and through us. And so with that principle in mind of wanting what Jesus wants, I want to look at these two promises. And the first of these two promises that seem too good to be true is found in verse 12. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Sounds pretty great. I like that. Hope you do too. Jesus says that if we believe in him, we will also do the works that he does. In fact, we will do greater works than the works that he did. But who out here thinks that we've done something equal to what Jesus has done or greater than what Jesus has done? And so this sounds too good to be true. See, when we first hear this promise, our mind likely goes in the direction of superpowers. Because whenever Jesus talks about his works, he usually means his miracles, like turning the water into wine. Or healing a paralyzed man so he can walk. Or giving the blind man his sight. Or raising Lazarus from the dead. And those kinds of works require supernatural power. The kind of power that Jesus had in himself. And so when we read what Jesus says, our mind understandably hears Jesus promise his followers the same kind of supernatural power to do miracles. But I think I can speak for most of you. That's not our experience. Not at all. And I'm not ashamed to admit that I have tried to see if I have superpowers. I don't know if you have. I've not like jumped off of a tall building to see if I can fly. I'm not not as silly as that. But I mean, I've tried to move things like with the force. I'm sure you guys, I mean, everyone's tried, right? Hasn't happened. More seriously, I've tried... To put my hands on people who are sick to heal them. I've been at funerals praying and hoping that the dead will be raised to life. It's not happened. Even though I believe in Jesus, I haven't been able to do the works that he did. And that can make us feel like Jesus lied with this promise. Or perhaps worse or more worrisome, maybe the problem is that we don't really believe in Jesus. And that's why we can't do these works. And so this verse leaves us more perplexed instead of thinking it is precious. It leaves us wondering what Jesus means by doing greater works than he did. So if he isn't promising his followers superpowers to perform miracles like he did, then what is he promising? 
Well, the key to this promise is found in the last phrase in the verse where it says, because I am going to the Father. That the reason given for our ability to do greater works is that Jesus is going to the Father. He's referring there to his ascension into heaven. That after Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to his followers for a period of 40 days. And then he returned to the Father's side in heaven. And so Jesus is telling his disciples that his place in heaven is the key to why he will be able to do greater works than he has done. Well, how how does that help us? Well, once Jesus ascended into heaven, his redemptive mission to save sinners was complete. All that was necessary for people to be saved had been accomplished. And the disciples were then commissioned to go. Tell people it's done. Salvation is here. I have done all that is required. See, as wonderfully supernatural as as Jesus' miracles were, John always calls them signs. Meaning they point like a sign beyond themselves. And where do they point to? They point to the salvation that Jesus accomplished. See, as great as Christ's miracles of healing were, they only healed the body temporarily. The bodies of the people he healed still grew old. They still died. The sins he forgives are forgiven forever. The joy of the water that was turned into wine at the wedding, it would last. But it would fade in days or weeks. And it would just be a memory. But the joy of the hope of eternal life is with us always. The raising of Lazarus was his greatest work. And yet a day would come when Lazarus would die and be buried and nobody would call him out. Not yet. But when those who are dead in their sins are made alive in Christ to new and everlasting life, that life cannot be taken away. See, too often we think the greater works are the ones that touch this earthly life. Supernatural healings, demonstrations of power. But Jesus was focused on building a spiritual kingdom. And the forgiveness of sins is greater than any physical healing. The salvation of a sinner is greater than any demonstration of supernatural power. And these spiritual works are given to the followers of Jesus to accomplish after he ascended into heaven. That we who follow Jesus are able, with Jesus in heaven, to work on a greater scope than Jesus could in his earthly ministry. Jesus was limited to his human body. He could only be in one place at one time. He still had to eat. He still had to sleep. Presumably used the bathroom. He was limited by those things. And so he did certainly way more miracles than what's recorded for us in the Bible. But even that, he was only capable of doing so much in his few years of ministry. But his church, which the Bible calls the body of Christ, is able to do spiritual work on a greater level scale and scope. 
See, it was only days after Jesus ascended into heaven that the disciple Peter got up on Pentecost and began to preach. 3,000 people believed in Jesus and were baptized that day. That's quite the scope and scale. The good news of Jesus spread far and wide throughout the Roman Empire so that within a handful of generations, Christianity was growing on an exponential scale in the known world. And today, the church of Jesus Christ works on a scale around the world that would baffle those 11 disciples in the upper room. Wait, you're telling me there's how many of us now? And where? No. All around the world, the name of Jesus is praised. Jesus wasn't lying when he said his followers would do greater works than he did while on earth. But that ability is not our own ability. No, that ability comes because Jesus reigns in heaven. And as he reigns in heaven, he is able to abundantly supply us with his grace and power to spread this kingdom. The news is filled with stories of supply chain issues, of shipping containers offshore, of stuff not getting where it needs to be, of shortages of this, and oh, they didn't have this at the store again today, and feeling like we can't get the things we need from the places we need it. Jesus is in heaven. He is ascended to heaven, is at the right hand of the Father. At his disposal is the warehouse of heaven's infinite resources. And he has no supply chain issues giving those to us. That by his spirit, he is able to bless us and strengthen us for his gospel work that he has called us to do. And so, yeah, we may not have superpowers, But we have the heavenly power of the Holy Spirit who works in and through us to continue the mission that Christ has given to us. Now, we may feel still like, is that really greater? Like, it would be really cool to turn water into wine or do all heal the sick. Is it really greater? Well, we need to pause and reflect with just what it is we're being told we get to do. Our New Testament reading tells us about it in 2 Corinthians 5. That we have been chosen to be ambassadors for Christ, the Son of God. Who get to go out in all the world to people who have rebelled against their Creator, against God, and sinned against Him. And that we get to go and say, hey, we get to be reconciled. No, 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 you're good. Just repent and believe. You don't have to do this long list of things. There's no payback you need to do. Jesus paid it all. He took your sin. And now you get to be reconciled to the God of the universe who wants to bless you and call you his own to make you a new creation. That's the work Christ came to do. And it's the work he calls us to continue to do as he supernaturally supplies us from his throne in heaven. And so, yes, we get to do these greater works And that greater work is the ministry of the gospel and of telling others about Jesus. And so that's what we are promised in these greater works. That's the first promise that seems too good to be true. It's not superpowers, but it is continuing that work. The second promise that seems too good to be true is found in verse 13, and then it's repeated in verse 14. Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. 
that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And now you're just like, okay, love this one. Big time fan of this promise. We can ask for anything in Jesus' name, and he's going to do it. No way. He repeats, he says it twice. Like he didn't just mess up. He made sure to say it two times. So we knew he really meant it. But we haven't gotten what we prayed for. And it just seems too good. Like, how do we make sense of that? This seems too good to be true. If he says, ask anything in my name and I will do it. See, when we hear this promise, just like the previous promise made us think of superpowers, this promise makes us think of magic words. That Christians, including myself, will regularly close our prayers by saying, in Jesus' name, amen. Seems like what we're supposed to do in light of this verse, like pray in Jesus' name. And they're like, they're the right words. In fact, if we pray and we forget to say in Jesus' name, we might be like, oh, I got to like repray all of that now because I didn't say in Jesus' name. And that's what I need to say. Like, they got to be in Jesus' name. We got to do that. It can feel like a secret code or a password. Like, this is what gets us in. But to pray in Jesus' name does not mean that we have magic words in those words. See, praying in Jesus' name conveys two big ideas. It conveys the idea of our access or our approach to God. And it also helps us understand the nature of our prayers, what it is we pray for. And so concerning our access to God, we pray in Jesus' name because he is the only reason God should hear our prayers. Jesus is the only mediator between God and mankind, meaning he bridges the gap between sinful humanity and a holy God. He brings us together. It is only because of Jesus that we can speak to God. We read earlier in chapter 14, two weeks ago, that Jesus is the only way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. Well, the same is true in prayer. No one prays to the Father except through Him and in His name. And so when we pray, we need to remember that we are only accepted and welcomed into God's presence with our prayers because of Jesus. And his sacrifice on our behalf. It's like he is the guy that brings us into the VIP room in the back. Where like we would not be allowed at all. We'd be kicked out, arrested, whatever. And she's like, no, you're coming with me. We're just, oh. and we're just like that. And he just brings us in. He's like, all right, this guy. Oh, it's so good to see you. You're a friend of Jesus. Like that's what praying in Jesus' name is. That we can pray with confidence in Jesus' name, because we know the Father loves Jesus. It is His beloved Son. And so we can speak to God with that kind of confidence, praying in Jesus' name, knowing that He hears us. We have access. We can approach God in that way. And so it implies that access, but it also, praying in Jesus' name, shapes the nature of our prayers, what it is we pray for. And so, just as the first promise had a key phrase that helped us understand it better, the second, phrase, second promise has a key phrase as well. It's at the end of verse 13. Jesus says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, 
that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So the purpose of our prayers being answered is so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So praying in Jesus' name means praying for the purposes which matter most to Jesus. Not magic words, but what matters most to Jesus. And so we should pray things that fit with our Master's mission mindset. That Jesus came to glorify His Father And he did that primarily through his death and resurrection. That was his purpose. He came to bring glory to his father and to save his people. And so when we pray in his name, we should let those big purposes shape what it is we are praying for. And we can have confidence when we pray in line with those things, our prayers will surely be answered. Maybe not in exactly the way we think we want them to be answered, but they will be answered for those things. Our Old Testament reading gave us an example of such kind of prayer. King David was dead. His son Solomon was coming to the throne. He says he's a little child. That's humility. Like he was definitely young, but it's not like we got a six-year-old on the throne. Six-year-olds don't talk like that, okay? So this young guy coming to the throne and God says, ask for me anything. Now, you ask any, like, 20-something out in the world today, ask me anything. You're, like, you're getting some bad, bad answers, okay? Even 30-somethings, okay? And Solomon is like, no, I don't want anything from me. I want to be able to govern wisely so you are glorified and your people are blessed. Here you go. Coming right up. I'm, I'm ready to answer that one. In fact, here's bonuses. You can just even have extra stuff. That was such a good prayer. God was delighted to answer a prayer that was so aligned with his own priorities. And so similarly, we should let Christ's priority of the Father's glory shape our prayers. For we are promised that Jesus will grant those requests. That's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. We come to the Father through the Son with that mindset of the Son's mission, shaping our prayers. Now, as we consider these two promises today, I hope we can see that they're not talking about superpowers. They're not talking about secret magic words. Instead, what we see is Jesus promising to use His position in heaven to bless us as we continue his gospel work here on earth. And if you think about it, that's exactly what the disciples needed to hear. The disciples didn't need superpowers. They didn't need magic words. What the disciples needed on that night Jesus was going to be arrested was assurance. Because Jesus had said, I'm going away to the Father. And they're like, what? Are you serious? No, no, no. It's good because you're going to keep doing really good things, great things, in fact. And if you need anything to do this, you're getting it. I promise you. For us today, we need that same kind of encouragement. 
because we are continuing the work of gospel ministry. And so instead of hoping that God would give us power to use for ourselves or to answer prayers that make our lives easy and comfortable, we are invited to call on our Lord Jesus to strengthen us for kingdom work. So when we think about the works we are going to do and the requests we are going to make, we really need to ask ourselves a question you've probably heard before. Is this what Jesus would do? Now, those WWJD bracelets have their positives and negatives, but this is one of these situations when we're thinking about in praying in Jesus' name, we should ask ourselves, is this work that I want to do a work that Jesus would do? Is this work for the kingdom? Is this something that our Savior would say, yes, stamped as blessed? I want to bless that. Or am I seeking to build up my own kingdom? My own denominational corner of Christianity. My own local church over and above the neighboring churches. Do I want to do this work to show off my power and my ability? Or do I want to do this thing because through it, Christ and His power will be known? We may want the Lord to give us millions of dollars. I mean, I've prayed to win the Powerball. I don't know about you guys. Like, because think of all the great things I could do with the Powerball. I've, I've tried that prayer. It didn't work. Okay? We may pray that God would give us the power to heal the sick. We could just walk through the hospital and just whoosh, heal all the sick. He's given us an even greater job than those things. He says, go and proclaim the good news that people can have peace with God through Jesus Christ. That's the work Jesus would have us do. He wants us to go and do that work in his strength, knowing that he is blessing us from the throne in heaven. And then when praying, we ask a similar question. Is this something Jesus would pray for? Now, yes, it's okay to pray for a new job. It's okay to pray for a better relationship with a family member. It's okay to pray to be healed from sickness. But a lot of our prayers are focused on on here and now and this life. And Christ came to build an eternal kingdom. Far more than making our lives better now, Christ is seeking the glory of the Father and the growth of His kingdom. So are we praying for ourselves or for God's glory? Are we praying for ease or for opportunities to glorify God, even if we're suffering. If we claim to pray in Jesus' name, then let us share His priorities and purposes in our prayers. These promises can seem a bit like a letdown, but I want us to think about it this way as we wrap up. Right here, right here, right now in this room, a great work is being done. Not because of me. And not because of you, but because of Jesus reigning in heaven. That Jesus sent his spirit to supernaturally work through his word to open hearts to believe. To comfort those who are hurting. To convict those who are wandering. To calm those who are anxious. 
the Spirit is working right now in you and in me as His Word is proclaimed. And He is doing that in answer to our prayers for the Word to work in us and for God to be glorified in us as our faith in Him is strengthened. And so just imagine, we're just one church. That right here and right now, and in fact in congregations all around the world today, Christ is doing great works through His church to the glory of the Father proclaiming His name. Let us go and pray that that work would continue. Oh Lord Jesus, we thank You for giving us such precious promises and we ask in Your name that You would further the work of the Gospel here at Bethel. Not because we want to be a big church for our own pride, not because we want to have success or anything, but because we want You to be known. We want You to be glorified. Use us, O God, even if it is in suffering and hardship and weakness. Use us to glorify You. We pray, O God, that You would further Your work in this region, in our nation, and all around the world, that Your kingdom might grow so that the day when You return, we might rejoice and see so many multitudes of brothers and sisters in Christ and rejoice together glorifying you. Amen.